at the movie series. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at clips from famous Christmas movies, popular Christmas movies, but we're really going to be looking at God's Word and exploring some of the themes that these movies introduce. Now, the scene you just saw, Buddy the elf discovers that he was adopted and that he was taken in and he's not a real elf and he goes on a journey. And it's a journey where he thinks he's looking for his dad, but what he discovers that the snowman there kind of uh, precipitated for us, what he discovers is that he doesn't just find his father biologically, he finds himself. And really, when the staff and I got together and talked about what we wanted to do this Christmas season, we wanted to talk about the Bible in such a way that you learn some facts, some information, I think that'll happen for you. But beyond that, that this month leading up to the celebration of Jesus coming to the world would be a time where you discover more of who you are, who God has made you to be. And you discover how great our God is, you discover how awesome he thinks we are, and you discover his heart, his character, that caused him to send his one and only son, Jesus, in the world to begin with. I want to take you to a passage in your Bible right away as we begin to talk about this concept of being adopted by God, that we're adopted by God. Now, I bet a lot of you know a little bit about adoption. Um, I bet some of you in the room have been adopted or you participated in adopting a child. And I know there's about three families in our church uh, going through that process right now, beginning that process of adoption. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, adoption is. But you may not know this, that adoption has for uh, a couple thousand years been also a theological term. It's not just something that happens between earthly people, you know, a group of adults embracing a, a child that in some way has been abandoned or given up for some greater cause that the parents didn't feel they could bring into their life. Adoption is a theological term that describes what our Heavenly Father has done for us. It's one of the m- most amazing gifts that God has brought into our lives, that He, our Heavenly Father, has adopted us. And when the biblical writers looked back on that event called, that we call Christmas, the birth of Jesus into the world, they rallied around this concept of adoption. They thought about the birth of Jesus in the world and Jesus being on loan, if you will, stewarded to Mary and Joseph to be raised for the purpose he was brought into the world. They, they often thought about adoption when they reflected on that event. And so the Apostle Paul in one of the letters he wrote to the church at Galatia, a city there in Asia Minor, he explores this idea of adoption. And I want to begin there with you in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And before you, you know, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and go there. Before we get there, let me just set you up some of the context here. Galatia was, was a, uh, an interesting city. And there was a lot of commerce there. A lot of commerce. And it was a thoroughly Roman city. A lot of the cities that that the Roman Empire ended up taking control over had a lot of Greek influence, but not Galatia. It was a thoroughly Roman city. It was a relatively young city with a lot of commerce, and it was a city set up as an imperial city. What that means is that uh, Rome was the primary imperial city, but there was a handful of other cities that were identified as imperial cities where a citizen of Rome could experience almost all the benefits of of Rome as if they were living in the city of, of Rome itself. And because it had a lot of wealth, it had a lot of resources, it was able to to do that. And as an imperial city, it it typically, every one of the imperial cities were tied to a specific historical figure that identified the city because of something it did, because of some significance it played in a war, because of some significant gift it gave to the city, or some significant gift it gave to the leader. They would identify that city as as an imperial city. Now, what was interesting about, about Galatia specifically is, is that its history was very much connected to the idea of adoption. 
you may not know this, but um, Julius Caesar, the, the first real Caesar in, in Rome's history, he, he was unable to have children, didn't have any legitimate heirs. And so he adopts his, he legally adopts his you know, distant cousin as his own child and declares this child to be his heir, the one and only heir to the throne. And in the process of doing that and the moving around, he declared that the city, Galatia, would be an imperial city as a gift of that city being the birthplace of this child. And so Galatia, this idea of adoption, was very much well known historically. The idea of adoption was very much a part of the Roman culture. And that's the very culture in which Jesus was born in. It's the very culture in which the Apostle Paul was writing. And he pulls that theme that a virtual nobody can become a somebody. That depart, irregardless of your birth and the circumstances around your birth and your economic status and where you really are, through some legal maneuvering, through a powerful person that had unbelievable resources, you could be blessed with something that would have never been yours on your own. That's a powerful thing that, that the Roman citizens were very much aware of. Birthright, in one sense, was everything. And so Paul, in trying to reflect and bring some language around what does it mean for our Heavenly Father to adopt us into His family, pulls on that shared intellect, that shared story that they have. So in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. What I'm saying, the argument I've been building, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to the guardians and the trustees until the time set by his father. He's been making this point about slaves and heirs and who's in and who's out. And his point is that he's building to is, is that the heir and the slave look identical until that time that the heir is released to live in the full pleasure of what it means to be the heir. Until they grow up, until they get of age, the trustees, the caretakers, are making all the decisions. And from the outside, the difference between a slave and an heir is not very obvious. Then he continues, So also, when we were children, we served in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. He says, in the same way that a slave and an heir grow up in the same house, it'd be hard to tell the difference between them until they're released to be the heir and to live as the heir and to have the full rights and privileges and self-governance as an heir would have. You can't really tell the difference. And likewise, all of us, all humanity, were born under a certain slavery. Now, the big category for that is a big, ugly word. It's actually only three letters long, but it encompasses a pretty uh, hefty concept. We're born under this bondage, this law of sin. And we are, even though we're heirs, even though we're God's children, we're kind of like slaves. You can't tell the difference. But at just the right time, when time had fully matured, when God was good and ready, he sent his son Jesus, born of a woman. This is an application of the Christmas story. The Apostle Paul writes in the letter and saying, well, let me tell you how important Christmas is. Because it was at Christmas, God deemed that the time was right for him to send his son. Uh, he, he was born of a woman, even though he was fully God. 
And because of that, he was born into the same system that we're born in, under this kind of umbrella of sinfulness in the world. But he lived his life in such a way that he was able to redeem. He was able to purchase. He was able to adopt all of us out from underneath this umbrella of sinfulness so that we would no longer be identified as the slaves. We would be identified as the heirs. We receive the full rights of sons. And then Paul continues to write, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And the Spirit of God calls out, Abba, Father. Abba, Abba. That was the the common name of the Aramaic-speaking world, which was primarily the language of Jesus when He spoke. Abba, Daddy, it was one of the first words that every child learned. Abba, Father, closeness and intimacy. God's Spirit in us allows us to call God who has adopted us, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but you're a son or a daughter. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. One of the greatest gifts of Christmas, that time when God saw fit to send his son, is adoption. It's close to the heart of God. Adoption is close to the heart of God. It's a good description of the gift he has given each one of us, the possibility that we would no longer be the slave children, but we would become heirs and one with the Father. And we could look at our heavenly Father now, the one who chose us, and we could call him Daddy. Thank you for adopting me. Abba, there's a closeness, there's an intimacy. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want us to explore this principle of adoption and what it means in our lives. So let me me take you back. Just forget adoption for just a second. I I grew up in a home where we were were very close, but we didn't have a lot of material resources for a very long time. My dad made most of his money much later in life. But what we did have was love and closeness, a lot of fun. But, But we didn't have... A lot of the experiences that wealth and, and, and money can buy. So when we'd go on vacation, it was always to Grandma's house. Um, we thought it was because we were a close family, and it turned out that was the cheapest way to get away for a while. And it was fine with us until we kind of woke up, right? And so we wanted, like every other kid, to go to Disney World. And Well, that just wasn't possible. We just could not make that happen. In fact, I didn't go to Disney World for the first time until I was in college. I, I was deprived, and... Um, and, uh, and you can see it's still having an impact on me. I, uh, I, of course it didn't. But, but I remember in college the very first time, my, my college had actually sent me away um, to, to represent our college at something they were doing. And um, so I got this all-expense-paid trip to Florida, to Orlando. They put me up in a hotel, paid for my food, paid for my transportation. And in addition, some benefactor at the college said, hey, all the kids that are going, I want to pay for them to go to Disney World. So, so it was really cool that I was down in Florida, but I was so excited. Here I am, 20 years old, and you'd have thought I was five, and I was going to see Mickey for the very first time, right? So like years of not being able to, and now the door is open, and beyond that, somebody else has paid for it. And the excitement and the, and the energy that I had, I mean, I got there when the doors opened. I, I left when the doors closed, you know? I tried to get somebody to carry me on their shoulders, like the you know, quintessential experience. They wouldn't do it, but, but you get the idea, right? That, that's what I was... That's what I was going for, and, and, and man, just the, the thrill and the excitement, and it hit me. You know, everybody is invited to Disney World, but not everybody gets to go. It's expensive to go to Disney. They'll take anybody as long as you can pay to get in. 
Everybody's invited. It's expensive to have these kinds of experiences. You know? It made me think, as I've been reflecting on this concept of adoption, what it means that God looks at us and says, you're under the bondage of this world's system that is designed by its very nature. It's going to keep you down. It's going to promise you more than it will ever deliver. It will promise you that if you do this, you're going to have happiness and joy, and it's not going to end. And when you do the thing, you're going to discover it doesn't lead to happiness and joy and fulfillment. You're going to wake up at some point in your adulthood and discover that there's a bondage that this world imposes on all of us. And God looked at us and said, I don't want that for you. I want for you something radically different. I don't want you to live under that system. I want you to come be a part of my family. And when you become a part of my family, you're no longer a slave to that thing, your own desires, the desires of other people imposed on you. I'm going I'm to remove you from the full consequences of that thing, and I'm going to put you under the covering of my house. And when you're in my house, there's significant benefits. I mean, the, the children of of the one in charge, the child of the rich man, the child of the king, the child of the emperor in the minds of those Romans to whom Paul was writing to. That was a special status. No, no longing to go to Disney World. You, you get to go. In fact, your, your, your life's kind of like, like Disney World all the time. Now, when Jill and I, a little bit later on in our adult life, we ended up moving to Florida, and our, our driveway was one hour from Disney World. We could be there. So we, we went. In fact, if you were a Florida resident, as we were at the time, you could get season passes to Disney World for something like 200 bucks for the entire year. Come and go as you want. Pretty incredible. A bit of a stretch for us, but we did it. And every other year, we would kind of do that thing. And so we ended up making up for lost time. I and mean, I've been to Disney World so many times. It's kind of, kind of crazy. I still love it, though. I ain't going to lie. Every time I see Disney, I get a little excited, kind of wave my hands like this. I don't know. Um, anyway, <laughs> slight exaggeration, but not much. Um, we, we kind of made it for lost time because, uh, you know, we could afford it. We, 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 had, we had risen. We, our status had changed a bit. And not everybody gets to go to Disney World because it's expensive. Not everybody gets to understand what it is to be the child, to be the heir, to be the child of the powerful one, the king, the emperor. Not everybody gets removed from the, the world's system. And yet God saw fit. At this moment in time, we call it Christmas, to send his one and only son to break down barriers so that slave children could become heirs, so that sons and daughters under the oppressive rule and reign of sin in the world, their own sin, the sin of others, the, the cumulative impact of a selfish society, they could be exempted from that and live under the beautiful umbrella of the one in charge with the resources, with everything required for a life not of bondage, but of exuberance and excellence and excess even. Now here's the thing. The first time I went to Disney World, I was overwhelmed. I mean, everything was fresh and new. It was exciting. But by the third year of Jill and I having season passes, and we would, you know, be bored one day, like, let's go to Disney World. It's like completely different reality. We'd jump in the car and we'd take the, you know, hour-long trek and we could be in the park in one hour. It had lost its pizzazz for me a bit. 
It wasn't quite as, wow, you know? It didn't have that same, that same sparkle. And I think when it comes to something like Christmas, a lot of us who've been identified as heirs, we're sons and daughters of the emperor, so to speak, We've been removed from the world system and we've been not only forgiven personally, but we've been put on a path of development where God is making us into who he wants us to be and it speaks to the deepest desires of our own hearts. When, when, when that has happened to us for a long time, the newness tends to, to wear off and we forget, I think, may, maybe not you, but let me just see for me, I forget how special that thing is. How wonderful it is for God to have looked at us and said, I'm sending my son to live in this world system so that by being a part of it, he can shatter it. And he'll open the door for you to no longer be a victim to this world system. You will no longer be a slave to the world system. You will be living in the Father's house. And I think when that first hits you, it's fresh and new and exciting and thrilling. Like me, the first time I went to Disney World, I, I, could not, I, I couldn't get enough of it. I, every minute, we weren't going to leave one minute early. But, but years later, when, you, when it's kind of old hat, it loses its sparkle. And, and, and I think that what we have to do is be careful because the joy of, of this Christmas event isn't simply something that we're to focus on once a year. And at the same time, realistically, we can't hold it. You know, every, day can't, tomorrow, every day can't have tomorrow being Christmas. You can't, you can't live in the excitement that every day is Christmas Eve. And yet, theologically, as sons and daughters of the King, people who have been adopted, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, and we've been fully brought in, and we've embraced being a part of the family of God, I think it's very appropriate on occasion to just stop and say, now, what does it mean fully for us? What does it mean fully for us? So I got, I got four big ideas that I'm pulling from the Bible related to the idea of God adopting us and helping us to embrace what it means to be adopted by God, that we're now a part of his family. And here's the first big one. Those who are adopted are chosen. Those who are adopted are chosen. We're chosen. I mean, there's a, the idea is, is very much like, like a, some Christmas movie about an orphanage, if you will. Right? And there, there's a bunch of kids, and, and, and up drives the, the happy young couple, and they, they want to adopt, and they can only take one, and they look out over the group, and it's kind of sad if you think about it, but they look out over the group, and one is chosen. And they get in the car, and they, they go home, and wh whatever that looks like. The one is chosen. And the exuberance, and the excitement, and the thrill that that kid experiences of being chosen. But not just the excitement and the thrill in the moment, but the realization that those of us who are watching a movie like that would have that that child's entire lifetime, is now, the trajectory of their life, is completely chosen. There was an entire group, but you were selected. This is exactly what happened in, in ancient Rome's history. One was chosen to become the heir. And Paul says, and you're the one. Chosen by the Heavenly Father to become an heir to inherit all that He has for you. 
Now, at some point later in your Christian journey, many of you are already there, you're going you're to start asking questions about the rest of the group, right? Like, what happens to them? Why me? Why not them? And all that. And those are fair and valid questions. And you probably should ask those questions. And I think the Bible speaks to those issues. But for today, I, I want to just hold those people kind of in stasis for a moment. And I want to talk about the fact that you were chosen. Not to in any way diminish them, but the specialness of being the chosen one. That God looked over the entire world and he said, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to invite everybody, but not everybody gets to come. It requires significant effort for anybody to cross over from slave to heir. And, and I've paved the way for you to have that happen to you. Do you, do you understand how special it is that God has said to you, I gave you an opportunity to become my son, to become my daughter. And then not just an opportunity, I literally held the door open for you, went and snatched you from the group and claimed you as my own. That You are chosen by God. Listen to what the Apostle John writes in one of, uh, of, of his writings, 1 John, the first letter that we have of his. <clears throat> I'm sorry, in, in John's Gospel, John chapter 1. Here's what he says. Everyone who has received him and and who has believed in his name, it is to those who he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural means, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born from God. Chosen, embraced by him, so that you become children. Now listen, it's kind of like politically slash spiritually correct to say that we're all children of God. Everybody's ever lived. And in some sense, that's absolutely true. Every human being that's ever lived is a child of God in some real sense. But this particular theological concept is focusing on the specialness of being chosen and then us embracing what it means to be chosen. It's, again, spiritually and politically correct to say we're all children of God, but, but Paul and other biblical writers drill down and he says, look, there is a specialness that happens when we embrace what God has chosen for us. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. John writes, whenever we put our faith in him, he calls us his child. And while it's not politically correct to say this, it's somewhat theologically correct to say that we're not all children of God in the same sense. Some have embraced it and chosen it. Everybody's loved by God, but not everybody gets to be an heir because not everybody's chosen it. Not everybody's chosen what God has chosen for them, and everybody has embraced that. Now, this is kind of foreign to us because we think of adoption with small children. But in the early Roman world, when Caesar looked out and said, I, I want you to be called my son, that, that son had to choose it. And when he became of legal age, somewhere between 15 and 18 years old, he had to go through a ceremony where he chose what was already chosen for him. And then when that was completed, it was chosen. But when he chooses what was chose, he then becomes the rightful heir. And this is more of the, the system in Rome than the system we think about. This is the system that Paul and John are referring to. The, the adopted one choosing what was chosen from them, what chosen for them. When we embrace what it means to be adopted by God, what we're saying is we understand the specialness. And let me ask you something. If you've been chosen by God and it's been 20 years ago, 30 years ago since you chose what he chose for you, has it lost its luster at all? It would be reasonable in some sense if it had. It, it's hard for every day to be like Christmas Eve. But I think we have a unique opportunity over the next 25 days or so as we think about that time when God sent his son to remember what it means to be adopted. 
It's part of the reason why every year as a church we rally around orphans. Because I don't think, I don't think this concept, this theological concept of being adoption is just, it's just this metaphor lingering in the air that we can hopefully attach some meaning to. It's all, it runs all the way through the pages of your Bible. One writer says it this way, that true religion, true, true connection to God is this, to love the fatherless, the orphan, and, and the widow. And, you know, throw resources and love and, and, and acceptance at these groups of disenfranchised, forgotten people. And now, what is the heart behind that? What's the movement behind that? It's every biblical writer saying, you don't understand, that was you. That was you spiritually. You may not have even known it fully. But that was you. You were under bondage. It was hard to look at the difference between the heir and the slave. But there was going to come a day when the heir would be elevated and the slave would stay in bondage. And that was you. But not anymore. Because God has pulled you out. He has adopted you into his family. And he's given you a chance to choose what he's chosen for you. And when you do that, you become children of God in a special and unique and unending kind of way. And it changes everything. When was the last time, men and women of God, people who put their faith and trust in Jesus, that you reflect on what it means that God chose you, that he called you out, that he gave you the opportunity to hear and respond? Those who are adopted are chosen, and it's a special thing. Number two, those who are adopted are deeply loved. Those who are adopted are deeply loved. Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, says it this way in in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. We are dearly loved children who should live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. This exchange, born of a woman, born in time, at the right time, God sent his son so that that son could redeem us. Later, Paul writes in Ephesians 5 that, that he... He gave himself up for us so that we could be called children of God because he loved us deeply. I'm I'm not adopted. I'm biological from from my family. I have friends that are adopted. And some of them find out later in life they're adopted. Some of them have kind of known all along. And and a lot of times when you find out in the group of people, I remember this in in, in like sixth grade, there was a kid who said at some point in the conversation with the class, he identifies he's adopted. And all the girls kind of do what they do when they see a puppy. Aww. Right, you know, the, the kind of, you know, heart melting, kind of, and that, that's cool, that's awesome. But I remember talking with this kid, in fact, he was a friend of mine for, for years and years, and we still connect on occasion through Facebook. Like, I never felt like the puppy, like, oh, I need to be pitied. <laughs> I felt like it was the, the, the coolest thing in the world. You know, I, I have no recollection of what my early birth experiences and first few minutes of my life were. All I know is that this man and woman who I did not belong to chose me, and they loved me, and they blessed me. And, and, and over the years, he you know, got greater language of what it meant to have been adopted and the full impact of that adoption in his life. And this is exactly what God wants for us, to, to relish and rest and enjoy what it means to be adopted, that our Heavenly Father looked down and said, I love you. I choose you. I'm going to pull you out from the pack. And I'm going to bestow upon you my love and the full rights of what it is to be a son or a daughter of the king. That's going to be, that's going to be bestowed upon you. You're deeply loved. 
And I think sometimes, even though we've been pulled out from the world system, the busyness of life, the challenges in relationships, sometimes the busyness of a thing like Christmas season and the pain and hurt of relational dysfunction at a time like this, when everything seems to be promising that it should be better, but you can't experience that promise fully, sometimes it makes us forget what it means to have the ultimate relationship intact. That our Heavenly Father says, I love you. And by the way, you didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't love you because you were good enough. I didn't love you because you had performed enough. I didn't even love you because of the promise of the potential you would live up to some standard. I just looked out and said, hmm, I'm going to take that one. I claim that one. I want that one to live in my house. And I don't know about you. And maybe it's because I've been kind of in the mix of, of thinking through this movement in the Bible for the last few weeks, but... That understanding that I'm adopted is beginning to have an impact on me positively. That I'm adopted by a Heavenly Father who didn't look at me to earn my place. I didn't vie for it. I didn't fight for it. I didn't crawl and climb to get to the place. He simply chose me. And there is a beautiful rest that comes when you understand that your Heavenly Father loves you. I want this Christmas season for each child of God in the room to know more fully at the end of this season than you know right now the joy of being adopted by your Heavenly Father and to let that thing grow in your heart. I believe the exploration that happens when you discover you're adopted, like Buddy in the movie, I think at the end of that, you might discover not just your father, you might discover yourself more in the middle of that. You might discover who you are more fully in the middle of that. That you are chosen, you're loved, and number three, you're secure. You are secure. So in Rome, here was the challenge. Once you were adopted in, once you chose that thing that was chosen for you, you're not getting out. It's indelible, it's indelible. You can't break it. The seal is permanent. You can't say, oh, hun, for the reflection, a few years later, I don't really want to be that way. Now, there's a security in the adoption. At any point, a biological father could look at his son or daughter and say, you're out, I'm done. The, the security of the biological father and mother's connection to his and her children, well, that was tenuous. And when they didn't like what you did, they literally could just kind of through the wave of the hand, you're out, you're out right, you're, you're gone. But not so with adoption. Once that thing had been sealed, it was secure. And this is the imagery that Paul's pulling out. And he says, you need to understand, John Paul, you need to understand how wonderful it is. Because once you're in the family, you're in. And just like you didn't do anything to get in the family, you really, it's so secure that, that it's not even dependent on your behavior and your actions to stay in the family. It's that secure. It's that tight. God has wrapped his arms around you that much. At one point, Paul writes about this, and he says, let me tell you about this love of being in the family of God. It's so high. You can't get over it. I mean, it's just there. You, you're not going to go over the love of God and climb the wall on the other side of it, experience the not love of God. And it runs so deep, you can't dig under it and get to the other side of the deepness of God and discover that God doesn't love you there. And it's so wide. The idea is that there's this impenetrable wall. On the other side is not God's love. On this side is God's love. And it's so wide you can't go around it. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't 
go around it, that you're fully loved by God. And I think this Christmas, one of the gifts that God wants to remind his children of is that I love you immeasurably. John, John writes it this way, trying to, trying to drive home this idea of what it means that we're adopted and our adoption is secure. He says, those who are with us and then left were never really a part of the family to begin with or else they wouldn't have left. He said, if you really understand this thing, you're not going to get away from it. You don't want to get away from it because once you understand it, once you understand who you are, you're not going to go anywhere. I've been in ministry since I was about 15 years old. Now, that, that may sound strange to you, so it's, it's a good long run, right? And I've seen people come and go. And I remember when I first started and had my first few positions of leadership, how excited and eager I was. It was almost like the Disney World experience. Every time somebody would say, Lord, I choose what you've chosen for me. I want to put my faith and trust in you. And I'd see them get excited and fired up, and they couldn't get enough of it, and they were sucking every bit of life out of it that they could, and they wanted everything they could get out of it. And you've seen it. You, we've seen it sometimes around here. That excitement then fizzles away, and it loses its, its luster, and, and, and the folks that were so in one year, you come to the next year, and they're not so much around, and it's, it's heartbreaking. It's just... <clears throat> And I don't know all that goes into that. I mean, each story is particular, and each person has their own experience. But I do know this. On some level, that person lost their sense of what it means that God adopted them. And instead, they looked around. They looked around maybe at me. And I can never live up to the kind of love that God offers. I mean, honestly, you look at me to love you like God loves you, you might as well choose to be disappointed because that's exactly what you're doing, right? And, and, and I can't bless you a church can't bless you. Yeah, your own parents can't bless you and love you and hold you in the way that God can hold you. I don't know all that goes into making somebody walk away, but I do know this, that when they do, they probably haven't fully grasped what it means to be in the family of God. That God embraced them and that they're part of his, and he is holding as tight as he possibly can. And because he's God, he can hold pretty tight. I just want you to understand that you're chosen, you're loved, you're secure. And then the, the last one just really gets close to my heart for, for Christmas, my heart for our church, and my heart for, for what we're doing as a church over the next month or so. That those who are adopted, they're going to mature. They're going to grow. They're going to be developed. Paul, again, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, he says this. He says, I need you guys, the family, the church, I need you guys to speak the truth to each other so that we will in all things grow up to be like him who is the head, the, the king, the emperor, who is Christ. I, listen, I need you to understand, Paul says, that we have to tell the truth to each other. We have to dig deep into the truth because God wants us to grow up. And part of being adopted in the family means you're in a development process. God wants you to continue to grow and, and develop and mature and become more like the, like the king. In this case, like Jesus. He, he wants you to grow and develop. I mean, we, we, around here we call it discipleship. We, we shortened it to a key phrase, real love now, that you, you know, experience real God and real people worshiping. And, and that, and that we, we, we love through serving, right? And we, we love each other. We're kind of, kind of a family. And we serve now and we give back and all that's just kind of our methodological way of saying, we've got to be growing. 
We've got to be growing. Part of being adopted doesn't mean that you sit in the easy chair and say, I'm adopted, here I am, shower me with gifts. You know, you know what that's like? It's like when, when my son was six years old. He's like, Christmas, bring it on, Dad. What you got for me next? And I remember opening all the gifts at the end of the day, and they were like, 3,000 gifts in the living room, it felt like to me. At least that's what I felt like I had paid for. And there's wrapping paper everywhere, and it's all done. And, like, and then, the, you know how it kind, of, you, does your friend, it kind of dies down, and you realize that was the last gift? And when that hit my son, he was like, what's next? Bring it. Come on, give me more. Give me more. He had gotten so caught up in the thing, and it's totally a kid thing. I don't even blame him for it. But I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we forget that part of being adopted means is, yes, you get showered with all this wonderful stuff and you're a part of it, but God looks at us and says, now let me do one of the greatest gifts that you're ever going to have given to you. Let me help you grow. Let me push you to grow. Let me develop you. That's part of what it is to be adopted. We're, I'm going to invest in you, not just in the moment and shower you and bring you under the umbrella. I'm going to develop you and push you and grow you. And sometimes, depending on how we're wired, we experience that not so positively. We experience the development process, you know. And I know why. Because it often happens in our pain, in our disappointments, in our frustrations, that our Heavenly Father says, look, this is all part of being part of the family. And I'm wanting to grow you and develop you here. I want the end of this process for you to look like a mature son or daughter. Just like a good earthly father does, good earthly mother does. And I want you to be mature here. And I think this Christmas season we have an incredible ability, an incredible opportunity to look fresh and new at what it means that God gave the gift of Jesus to us in part so that we could be fully a part of his family. And if you're like me, after I've been married for a few years and, and we'd had the season passes to Disney for so long and you look at that and you say, mm, Disney World, Nikki, what, what? I heard they got a new ride, let's go over and... And it's just, there's not that same excitement than the first time where even as a 20-year-old, I'm eager, I'm waiting with bated breath, please open the door, my God, would somebody let me in, please. I think God would like us to recapture a bit of that. I don't know fully how you do that, but I know when you start exploring things like, I'm adopted, I'm chosen, I'm loved, I'm secure, my Father in heaven is investing in me, He wants me to grow, he want, He's pushing me because He loves me. He wants me to explore. He wants me to wrestle with the truth about me and the truth about the world and the truth about other people. And he pushes me and he pushes me and it's all because he loves me. I know that that creates a, an energy in me at least. And then all the other stuff that's vying for my attention and wants to pull my eyes away. And it's still there. I still have to manage it. I still have to deal with it. But it doesn't have the same attraction to me because at the core, there is this sense that I am complete. I've been chosen. I'm a part of a family that doesn't end. And it's a perfect family. And while, my heavenly, while my earthly father was pretty fantastic, my heavenly father literally is perfect. And all the good stuff, if your experience with your father was good, that my earthly father wanted for me, my heavenly father wants so much more. And if your earthly father wasn't so great, your heavenly father is not him. He's perfect, and his heart for you is fully good. I think when we wrestle with that, and we focus on that, and we remember that, man, it opens us up to so much more. I think that in that discovery of, our, of, of who our father is, we discover who we really are. That's a pretty amazing thing that God has done for you, and it's a pretty amazing thing that he's pushing you for. 
I, I referenced it earlier, but that's exactly why, as a church, we rally around orphanages and kids in general. In, in part because it's just obvious and clear to see the contrast between the kids in India and the kids at the Smoky Mountain Children's Home who've been abandoned and abused. And to see the contrast of them, especially at a time like Christmas, of what we want for our own kids. And so here's me and my kids, and here's those kids in India. And it's like, oh, oh. It just breaks my heart when I allow the truth of that to really hit me. And I can't fix not only India, but the rest of the world. And there's all these, all these other places that deserve it. And so, and so I, I get behind something that I think is very biblical and, and, and God-honoring in a time like this. And I do for the one what I'd love to do for everybody. I just physically can't. And so as a church, we rally around Pastor James John in India and the orphanage there and the church that they built. And, man, he's bringing Jesus to that whole region. And there's like some 41 pastors who come once a month and spend a whole night in prayer praying for the region. And then they go out after being resourced at the church we built. And you think, man, God, you're amazing. You will let us be a part of this thing. It's not just that you brought me into the family. You're bringing others in. And we go down to Smoky Mountain Children's Home, and just a, a few months ago, I drove by that place, and I thought, there's the very building that we rebuilt that kitchen in for that couple that's caring for these 15 kids. And their life is, is complex and emotionally draining on a level I can't even begin to think about, and yet we bless them. They get to go home to a beautiful, well-functioning, um, safe place for them to just be together as a couple and recharge and go back and love these kids. An investment in a place like that is exactly close to the heart of God, the very heart that called you and me into his own family. And then, and then I think about our own kids here in, in like our church. What I want from them more than anything is to understand how beautiful it is that God looked at them and said, you are no longer slaves. You don't even know what that means yet, but I'm going to make you my own. And for the rest of your life, I'm committed to you. And I want our own kids to experience that on the deepest levels so that it gets in all the way. I like all the way. So that it becomes an anchor in their soul that no matter where else they go in life, it keeps bringing them back to a heavenly father that loves them, to a Jesus that died for them. I think an investment in all those places is worth it. Now in the next few weeks, we're going to look at a few other movies and some major themes. And each Sunday, we're going to try to open up a present that God has given us and here's all I'm asking for you to do. I'm asking for you to come and let God, by his spirit, hopefully bring back some of the sparkle that I felt that first time at Disney World, not the, not the 80th time. Some of the sparkle you felt as a child when you'd open that gift. Some of the sparkle you see in kids' eyes. I want God to bring back some of that for us, to remind us how beautiful the gift of Christmas is to us. Not because it's simply peace on earth, goodwill towards men, all that, that's, that's phenomenal. That, that's awesome, that's wonderful. That would be enough in its general sense. But in a very specific way, peace to you, goodwill to you, to me, because that's how much our Father loves us. So would you grab out your Connect card and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. This Jesus I've been talking about, he wants a relationship with you, a personal relationship, not just head knowledge, but fully embracing you and you fully embracing him. And the way we say that around here is we'd like to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, as the forgiver and the leader of your life. And so next step A on your Connect card that you pulled out simply says, I'm accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time. 
If you want to do that, begin a relationship with the creator of the universe, experience that full adoption, I ask you to check next step A. When the offering buckets come by later at the end of the service, put that card in there, and uh, we're going to pray with you. I want to pray for you. We're going to send you some information about what it means to be a part of the family of God. In a few moments, I'm going to pray. You can use your own words. You can borrow mine and kind of look up to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I, I, I need to be adopted by you. I need to be covered. I, need, I want to walk under your umbrella. And if you believe that in your heart, the Bible says that if you believe that in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, that you can have a life with him. The Bible says it this way, you'll be saved. Or how about next step B? You want to be baptized and celebrate how awesome it is to be a part of God's family, that moment where you said yes, that's what we celebrate? Or next step C, pray with me to embrace what it means to be adopted by God. Hey, listen, has some of the, some of the excitement about what it means to be a child of God been, been lost in you lately? Has, has it drained away? Has, 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 has other stuff covered it over, gotten dim a bit? Why, why don't we just pray together? over the next 25 days that God rebuilds in you an excitement and you come ready and open to let that happen. And you focus on the Lord and not simply on the stuff around you. And let's see what happens there. All right, how about next step D? Who would say, I'm gonna give to our 2013 Christmas gift to make a real difference? You're gonna get an update about that in just a moment or two. But I'm telling you, our little bit of money makes a real difference in people's lives. And we can't fix the world but we can make a major difference in India. We can make a major difference right here in America at the Smoky Mountain Children's Home. And we can make a major difference in our church and in our kids' lives with just a few dollars here and there. All right? How about next step B? So Christmas Eve, Eve is a big deal around here where I'm going to stand on this stage and tell people about Jesus. I want you to help me get as many people here as possible. I think an investment in their lives to come hear some truth, some truth about a God that loves them and an environment with people that will also love them, is a pretty amazing Christmas gift. So who would join me in saying, I'm going to invite at least one person to come to our Christmas Eve Eve service right here. Guess what day it is? Christmas Eve Eve, all right? December 23 at 7 and 9 o'clock right here in the room. Let's pray about these things, and then we'll, we'll end our service together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. God, I want to thank you that you've adopted us into your family, that I'm adopted. And God, I got to confess that it's hard for me sometimes to keep the full impact of what it means that you've chosen me, you've loved me, I'm secure in you, you've developed me. It's hard for me to keep that in front of my mind. I get distracted. But God, this holiday season, when I celebrate that time when you gave your son, I pray, God, that you would remind me, that you would grow in me the reality of what it means that you gave Jesus for me, and I'm chosen. Lord, I pray for those that are acknowledging they're a sinner, and they're saying, God, forgive me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And Father, as we rally around India and Smoky Mountain Children's Home and the work you're doing here, God, I pray you would take our money, you would, you would abundantly bless it, make it go further than we could ever go on our own. And God, you would use it to accomplish your work in this world. We pray it all in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen. Amen.